All right, if you've got your Bible, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you once again for our time together now. We believe that you're speaking to our hearts. And I ask that you would speak to every person right where they're at, right in the circumstances they're dealing with now. Thank you for giving them answers. Thank you for helping them. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in a series over the last number of weeks uh, called The Making of a Marriage. And we're going to continue with that today. In fact, this is part seven, okay? And so if you're with us for the first time, um, or second or third, we want you to go back and get caught up, all right? If, if you're married, absolutely. If you want to be married, absolutely. If you don't want to be married, just do it for fun. <laughs> Take the principles and apply them. Well, actually, you can help others. Believers should have answers for other people around them as well. And so uh, you can, get, of course, get CDs or you can download the MP3s for free on the website. And uh, that'll be a, a big help for you as we move forward. And today, I want to uh, share with you some things that are probably not really popular in our current culture. They're not politically correct, and, uh, but we must keep on guard always that we don't water down God's Word with the messages we hear on TV and through media and so forth. We must always say, I'm staying with the eternal Word of God, because if you take something away from one principle, where, where does that stop? If you say, well, this is no longer relevant for today, well, what about all these other things that you hold so dear, all right? What about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? You going to throw that one out too? Amen. We got to stay with the Word and stay with the, what the Lord has revealed to us, and it will absolutely help us and enable us to live life at His level, the level He intended for us, and, and for marriages to be truly outstanding. Um, let's start with this real simple point. Men and women are different. All right. For some, it's like, duh. But for some, that line is becoming blurred because that's what's being promoted in our culture today, that really there's no different. Men and women, they're exactly the same. And if you say otherwise, well, you're just discriminating and, and you're just putting one down. And it's absolutely foolish the way things are being talked about today. But the line between men and women needs to remain clear, <laughs> okay, that we are different in many ways. And I never want to be walking down the street or walking in the mall and someone look at me from a distance and wonder, is that a man or a woman? <laughs> There's something wrong with that. <laughs> men... We need to look like men. Women need to look like women. And let's not ever try to blur that line. And, uh, well, we're just all the same. Whatever. <laughs> and especially now, when it comes to marriage, we must understand that there are differences. Okay? If we don't recognize the differences, it'll cause conflict and it'll cause confusion and frustration and lack of fulfillment. God made us different. Now, we know He made us different physically, didn't He? Hopefully we know that. <laughs> he made us different emotionally. 
And here's what we want to talk about today. He made us different positionally. God did not give us the same assignments. He did not design a marriage to to where the husband and wife would do the exact same things or they would hold the same equal place in the structure of the home. And that's what we must clearly understand for things to work out in the best way. Now, look at Galatians 3, verse 28, 328. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek... There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, how many know if you stop there, you're confused? (laughs) What? The Bible says there is neither male nor female. (laughs) I'm confused. How many know? Bring it into context. There are both male and female. But here's the deal. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, in Christ, there is no male nor female. There's no different races. There's none of this kind of stuff. We are all the same exactly. The promises of God are the same to husband and wife. The blood of Jesus was spilled for every single one of us. We're going to the same heaven. Same Holy Spirit lives on the inside. God is the same towards all of us. We are the same. There's no difference in a person being a man or a woman, in Christ. But how many understand, in the flesh, there are both male and female. And absolutely, in marriage, there are both male and female. And if we act like men should act like women and women should act like men, there are going to be problems. Okay? And I would bet already, just in saying this, There's probably some minds, the gears are turning, and we're thinking, well, what difference? Well, how are we to be different? And that's because our convictions have been watered down by the media and the culture that says everything's the same. You can't act like one person has a higher position or a lower position than the other. And again, these are truths from the Word of God that we must let be established in our hearts. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just a short left turn from where you're at. Everybody put your seat belts on. And get ready because we teach without apology the truth of God's Word. 11 verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, actually, these scriptures, when it speaks of woman and man, specifically it is referring to husband and wife, not man in general and woman in general. What the scripture actually is not saying here, that the head of every woman is every man. As if somehow every woman is less than or on a lower scale than every man. That's not what it's saying at all. Really, it's speaking about husband and wife. And the scripture does say, everybody ready? The husband is the head of his wife. Okay? Now, I realize it's for some who've been 
uh, you know, culturally brainwashed, that could be hard to take. Because what do you mean? That's kind of that's kind of old school. That's kind of that's the way things used to be. But that's not the way things are anymore. We're more enlightened, and and we believe everyone's the same in marriage. Actually, that's not the case. Husband and wife are not the same in marriage, and their position is not the same. God set it up that this would be the case. The husband would be the head in that marriage. Now, let, let me throw this out. I don't mean... Well, let me, let, me, let me back up. How many understand that God is not the father of everyone? Sometimes it's said, well, we are all children of God. Everyone on the planet, we're all children of God. He's all our father. No, actually, that's not correct. Uh, you remember John chapter 1. And uh, is it verse 14? Uh, thank you. Not helping. There we go. Verse 12. Uh, <laughs> verse 12, it says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. In other words, before a person receives the Lord, they are not his children. Only at the point where they receive the Lord do they become a child of God. And so not all people are God's kids, God's children. He's not the father to everyone. And likewise, all men, they are not the head to every other woman. That would be uh, in incorrect thinking. But when we talk about headship, sometimes you'll hear... Uh, different Bible teachers, uh, marriage teachers, they'll say the, the man is the spiritual head of his home or the spiritual head of his wife. And I don't believe that's true, okay? In reality, we're not talking about spiritual things. We're talking about natural things. My wife does not have to go through me to get to God. Her relationship with the Lord stands on its own. She's received him all by herself, and likewise I have. So I'm not her spiritual head. She could far surpass me in spiritual things. If I am a spiritual doorknob, she can just progress and excel spiritually and do great things while I just, you know, go nowhere. She doesn't have to wait on me. She doesn't have to go through me. Sometimes it's been taught that a husband is the high priest of his home. Well, I don't believe that either. No, I believe that Hebrews says there is one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. And so she doesn't, again, go through me or anybody else. She goes through Jesus to get to the Father just like every single person does. And so my leadership and my headship in my marriage has to do with natural leading. And I don't mean to say that to imply it's not spiritual in any way, that I don't have uh, spiritual leadings and so forth and responsibilities. I do. But uh, again, uh, a, a wife does not need her husband uh, in order to go anywhere with God and, and, and enter into spiritual things. Okay. On a practical note, it sure helps her if her husband takes a lead in spiritual things, right? Sure helps the family. But again, uh, all of our relationships with God stand on their own, all right? Now, the Scripture says in Ephesians 5.30 that we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. When we talk about being the head, 
what I'm really referring to is responsibility. If the attitude that most husbands have when they hear this subject is, bless God, that's right, I am the man. I'm the big cheese, the head honcho, and the main man, and I'm directing the troops, and everybody serve me, and and that's what my headship means. Actually, that person's probably (laughs) a little over the top there. What they ought to think is responsibility. Husbands, you ought to think this is a great responsibility that I have as the final authority in my home. And, uh, and if we're thinking otherwise, again, we've probably gotten out of balance. And if we are all members and part of the body of Christ, which is true, right? Any person who receives the Lord, you're part of his body. Think about it. For the husband who thinks he's all that and hits his wife, how many know he just hit Jesus? Because he just hit a member of the body. This is important for us to understand. Uh, And I've approached this series on this basis up until this point. Basically, how we are one in Christ. My wife and I, we are, before we were ever married, we were brother and sister in Christ. In other words, equal footing. And you'll you'll notice most of the, the series that I've taught so far has focused on the fact that we are the same. We relate to each other. We should both operate in the love of God. But what we're speaking of is just being a good person. Just being a good Christian. And a person can never, a woman can never be a great wife or even a mother unless she's first a good person. Unless she knows how to act and control her own self and emotions and and, and everything else. A a man could never be a great husband and father unless, first of all, he's in control of his own life. And he's a good person first. And that's why we focus on walking in love. And you, you might notice now that I'm speaking of the differences that I didn't differentiate between the two. Walk in love, walk in love. You be kind, you be kind. You be nice, you be, you know, because we are the same and that's the foundation of making any relationship work. And if we jump to the other, I think we miss the boat. But we've got to understand that we are also different in many ways, okay? And uh, sometimes men will act like when they get married, you know, their wife is just there for their convenience. Now I've got someone to do the things I don't want to do. That's not what your headship means. That's not what being a good leader is. That's not what being the head of a home really means. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me today. When we marry, we surrender our right to independent living. We gain much, but we also give up a few things. That's really on both sides of the equation here. Now, over in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to begin reading in the wrong place. And what I mean by that, is our books of the New Testament, sometimes they'll move from one thought to another in the middle of a chapter because they didn't write in chapters and verses. They were put in later. And sometimes, especially with the passage I'm dealing with now, I've heard numerous times teachers and ministers and those who who write books, they will teach and they will start where I'm going to start and 
And they do it and they mess up the scripture when they do it. I'm doing that to correct it. Okay, in case you've ever heard it being said wrong. I mean, I just really hate to hear someone teach the word and say exactly opposite of what it means. Amazing. (laughs) You got that 100% wrong. And so we want to take things in context, but it's important that we understand. And here's the first verse. Watch this. Ephesians 5, 21. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to who? One another in the fear of God. Did you recognize that that wasn't a full sentence? For those of you who are just really sharp English with the English language. That we were reading the end of a thought, not the beginning of a thought. What is the end of that thought? It's the spirit-filled life. Where you back up a few verses, he says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Right? And he goes on to explain what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And what it does is it alters the way people treat each other or one another. And this goes back to what? Just being a Christian. Just being a saved child of God, if you will be spirit-filled, what will characterize your actions? It will be that you will submit one to another. There will be an attitude of giving in to other people's will. You're looking out for somebody else, not just for your own interests. If you want to, if we want to go out for lunch, and uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, Rick says, we're going to, uh, let's, I, I want to go. I asked him, where do you want to go? And he says, Chili's. And he says, where do you want to go? And I say, Outback. And, and then so what this means is I say, let's go to Chili's. And he says, oh, no, 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 let's go over to Outback. And I say, oh, no, I can go there anytime. Let's just go ahead and go over there. I want to go there. That, that'd be great. That's a good place. He says, oh, no, we, I can go there anytime. Why don't we just go ahead and go over to Outback? And, and if anything, we're going to fight about It's about getting the other person's will accomplished. We want to give in. That's the way people ought to act in general towards each other. We're not fighting for our own way. We're fighting to bless somebody else. That is the foundation in any marriage, but only because of this. It's the foundation of a Christian life. God moved in us, and now we are quick to give in. When I say give in, not compromise, but bless somebody else. I want you to be happy. I don't, I'm not fighting for my own ways. That's what that's teaching. Then he changes subjects. Even though that is a perfect foundation for the next subject, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Does it really say that? It does. Now here's, here's what's been the problem with some teaching is they will read that verse and immediately say, well, the Bible says right before that we should submit one to another, and then they go on. In other words, they erase verse 22 with verse 21. Do we really think that's what Paul's intention was when he said submitting to one another? It absolutely was not. Okay. And this needs to be clear in our mind. Is there ever a time a husband submits to a wife? Now, don't answer me. (laughs) Listen, I want to answer my own questions here today. (laughs) 
case you get it wrong. In the context of being a believer, husbands, yes, will give in and, you know, whether you're going out to eat or something else and say, let's do what you want to do. In that respect, yes. But when you are specifically talking about the structure or arrangement of authority in the home, no. The husband does not submit to the wife. The wife submits to the husband. There is not a time in my home where my wife draws a line and said, listen, we're done discussing it. This is what we're going to do. There could be a time when I would do that, though. Everybody see the difference here? I'm not talking where we're going out to eat, unless we just can't agree. Oh, fine, I'll decide. Usually it's more serious, you know, situations than that. But there could be a time when I would say, okay, we're done discussing it. This is what we're going to do. It's my responsibility. God has put that on my plate. I will decide and I'll lead this family in the way that it should go. Done talking. Right? See, this is a perfect balance now. This is coming in line with what the Word of God teaches. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. What do you mean as to the Lord? We do everything. Just like the Scripture says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. In other words, how should a wife submit herself to her husband? Do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. So how does that help? (laughs) Because people have a bad attitude sometimes. I guess I got to do it. People do it on the job. People do it in all kinds of situations where, yeah, I'm going to do what I have to do, but I don't want to do it. I don't like to do it. Do it as unto the Lord. And it changes the approach. Let's go on and keep reading here. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. So that's the picture. And he is the Savior of the body. Now think about this. As Christ is the head of the church. Does the Lord Jesus knock the church around? Cause the church to suffer? No, no. And husbands can learn a lot of good leadership principles in their family simply by looking at Jesus. Isn't that right? We are to lead as also Christ. uh, He's the head as Christ is the head of the church. And notice, and is the Savior of the body. I I believe that they're referring to the husband, not to Jesus. The husband is the Savior of the body. In other words, again, this points to, to the fact that that a husband's role as head is not spiritual, but it's more natural. In other words, uh, he is in, in, in the home to, supposed to provide for and defend and protect her in physical matters. And so he is the savior of the body in that way. Now, if we go on here, let's, let's read a little bit more and then we'll make some comments. He says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, what we have is uh, two directives written to two different people. The Bible didn't start off uh, in that 22nd verse and say, Husbands, you make sure your wife submits to you as the church does to Christ. He didn't go on to say in verse 25, 
Uh, wives, you make sure your husband loves you as Christ loved the church. But often, that's what people are talking about. That's the discussion that people are aware of. And the husbands very much are aware of what their wife is supposed to do. In fact, you know, they may feel tempted to make that a devotional in their family regularly. Uh, they may make it a practice to print that verse out in multiple translations and, uh, and expect their wife to really know that verse. And of course, she doesn't hardly know about that, but she does know verse 25 very well. She knows the Greek. She knows exactly how Christ loved the church. And she's focused on keeping him mindful of his responsibility. But again, the Bible didn't say, wives, make sure your husband loves you, right? Husbands, make sure your wife submits to you. In fact, husbands, we shouldn't even be reading verse 22 very often. I mean, really, we read it and we think, wives, okay, that's not talking to me. Let's see, let me go down here a little bit. Oh, husbands, there we go. And likewise, on the other side of this, this equation. But sometimes people get in a vicious circle and the wife, the wife says, if he would just love me as Christ loved the church, I would submit to him. And he said, uh, he said, well, if she would just submit to me, I would love her like Christ loved the church. And both people are waiting for the other person to fulfill their role. And as soon as they line up, bless God, everything's going to come into working order. Did you notice here that there were no qualifiers on this? Wives, submit to your husband if he does it perfect. If he leads you just right, then submit to him. Husbands, love your wives as long as, you know, they've really got their act together and as long as they're in full compliance to everything you want. No, quali- no qualifiers there. In other words, we're dealing with two imperfect people who are not going to do it just right. And a husband, there are no husbands here who have loved perfectly exactly like Christ through their life and yet there is still directive to the wife there are no wives in here who have submitted perfectly as unto the Lord to their husbands and yet the husband is still told to love her like Christ loved the church amen how did Jesus love us I tell you what here's one thing he went after us before we went after him He went after us. While we were sinners, the Bible says, he died. While we were still all messed up, all kinds of problems, he loved us. That shows me a husband is not to qualify his love based on how his wife is acting. All right. Here's another thing Jesus did. Remember, he gave his life. That's what a husband does for a wife. Yeah, you're the head, man. Let's show it by serving. By giving your life for that person. But you know what Jesus also said before he, before he left the earth? He said, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. Husbands, one of the things, one of the commitments that you can make to your wife that brings her security is your promise to never leave. We all did that, by the way, in the, mar- in the marriage ceremony. Right? And that assurance goes a long way in that relationship. Amen. And so, again, a husband is to be the head in the home. A wife is to submit to his headship. 
But how many know that's different than a parent and a child? The Bible says, wives submit to your husband as unto the Lord. doesn't say, as a child obeys his parents. In other words, watch. If my children don't want to obey, I'm going to make them. I am going to force them. They will comply. And they will do what their parents say. Now, when kids are real little, what do you do? You physically move them and put them in bed or whatever. You, put, you make them, you overpower them because they are going to do what they're told to do. Right? Parents, that's good advice, by the way. Not just an illustration. This is good advice all by itself. Don't let your kids do whatever they want to do. They do what you want them to do. What about when they're older and, and, and I can't do this, they can do this to me. <laughs> well, when they're, if they're teenagers and they're, uh, you know, 200 pounds and, <laughs> and able to move you around, you are going to make their life miserable if they don't do what you want. There are going to be other kinds of restrictions, right? Miserable. It's the parent's responsibility <laughs> to ruin their lives. <laughs> I heard that once from a kid. <laughs> You're ruining my life. I know. I'm going to continue. <laughs> Until you learn how to obey. Drive the foolishness out. Because in a few years, you'll make your own decisions, and I'm going to help you make the right ones by making you. Okay, now here's the difference. The reason I said all that, even though it stands good on its own, I don't make my wife do anything. I've never told her in all the years we've been married, you need to submit to me. I don't tell her she has to submit. That's not my job to make her submit to me. It's not my job to remind her, you remember my place in this house? Remember your place? Now you come in line. And it's not her job at the same time, to. and she doesn't do this to me. You need to start loving me like Christ loved the church. I know that. And she knows what the Bible says about her role. It's not my job to enforce that. Does Jesus ever make you do anything? He doesn't. Doesn't make you do anything. Never has. Does he ever talk to you? Yes. Does he ever want you to do certain things? He draws us with his love. He leads us with his love, but he's not twisting our arm. And if anyone could make you, he could. He's got the power. He could overpower you pretty easily. Know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But he doesn't. He doesn't force us into submission. Any man who's, uh, any husband who's forcing his wife to do stuff, man, you, you've missed the boat here. That's not the kind of leader that God has called you to be. Amen. And none of us should be treating, and that's the kind of, we'll get into some of that later, I think, but you never treat your spouse like a child, nor do you treat them like a parent. We'll comment there later. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three. Okay, here we go. Everybody ready? Verse one. Wives, who? Wives. Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Whose husband? 
Your own, not somebody else's. It's really not a man and woman thing. It's a husband-wife thing. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. You want him to change? You want him to straighten up? You want him to get saved? Stop talking to him about it. Zip it. (laughs) Many times people talk themselves into a hole and actually drive the man away. Now hold on, ladies. I'm on your side. But they do it by talking too much. Understand my heart. I I don't want to dig myself into a hole here, but I want to clearly communicate the will of God. I am really on your side. I'm on both sides here. And uh, amen. But you do it by conduct. By the way you act. You want them to do different things, no doubt. You want them to change. You want them to act different ways. How can you get them to do it? By your conduct. By you acting different, it influences him. Not by you reminding him of how he should be. By you doing something different, it changes him. I'm not making this up. Because I wouldn't go out on a limb like that and just make promises. But I'm telling you, this is what the Word says. He said, verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You've got a respect. You've got chaste conduct. That's what wins over his heart. Look at verse verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, many of us know these scriptures like this, have been used in church history to put strict dress codes on women, right? And in some churches, there's still some of them still exist today, and they have these really strict dress codes, and women cannot wear uh, certain things. They cannot do certain things with their hair. They cannot wear makeup and, and so forth like that. Think about that for a moment. If you didn't know much about the Bible, all you have to do is read verse 1, And you see that he's talking about a woman winning over by her conduct, winning over him. Do we really think that if a woman gets as ugly as she can get, that she's going to win over a man? I mean, wear junk, don't do your hair, don't put it, don't know gold or anything, and, and he'll just follow you anywhere. They just want to get saved just like that. I think there's some other ways to move him. <laughs> it's called the opposite of that. If anything, even though that's not the point, if anything, bling it up. Come on. Paint it. Fix it. Wear it nice. And that's going to move him because how many know guys are looking? They are lookers. <laughs> They're looking at stuff. And that's important. Amen. Think about it from just the opposite. You've you got a woman who takes very good care of herself. And she looks good and she's got all the bling and all the stuff. And she's taking care of herself uh, physically. But watch. But she's got a rotten attitude. She's loud as a donkey brain at midnight in a tin barn. <laughs> and uh, how many understand that's going to move him the opposite way as well? And that really is the point. <laughs> Of what I'm talking about here. Let's keep reading. 
Because the point is, he said, don't let it be merely outward. He's not coming against women taking care of themselves. He's just saying, he's saying, that's not the main thing of your approach to him. He said in verse 4, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a, watch, gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, I know this is not real popular today. This is what is attractive to a man in a woman. When she has a gentle and quiet spirit. There's something gentle about you. Not, don't be offended by this, not loud and boisterous. Not clamoring for your rights. Not saying, look at me, look at me, take care of me. You're not giving me attention. You're not doing this for me. That is ugly. That is unattractive. That is a major turnoff. And what's happened in our society, because I'm well aware that through history, women have been pretty much treated like, like dirt. And in some countries, it's still the case today. Not for that at all. Not implying that that's a good thing or that it should be that way. Obviously, it shouldn't be that. But when a, when a woman, when a wife is, is clamoring for attention, that does the opposite of what she really wants. This is what's valuable. How many understand the principle in the kingdom of God is if we humble ourselves, we'll be lifted up. We'll be exalted. That's all across the board. And what's very valuable in a woman, I'm not saying sit down in the corner and be quiet. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Some might think that's what you're saying. I'm not saying that in the least bit. I know women have way more words than men. (laughs) And they're going to come out. And they can come out, listen, but here's the overriding heart. It's the beauty of the inside. It's that hidden person of the heart that has a gentle and quiet spirit. If you go on reading, look, it says, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is something that God likes. He is impressed with a gentle and quiet spirit. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Submission is not a sign of weakness, but of strength. To be meek is not to be weak. At the same time, When we talk about submission, that's not just a woman thing. Do you know that it's a man thing? It's a woman thing? It's just different areas of life, different places uh, where people are. There's different roles that we all serve. Amen. Men, you need to submit to the local government, to your pastor, to uh, a lot of different areas in life. In different regards, different areas. Different aspects of our life. Amen. And uh, usually those who are clamoring for attention just really end up making themselves look bad. And sometimes it's sad because they don't realize it. You see there's a hole there. You see there's something missing. But they're going about it the wrong way. Trying to get fulfilled. Trying to get uh, the recognition that they want. But going about it the opposite way and so they don't get the desired results that they have. Now that, that, that they want. Now listen, 
uh, it does, does no good for a man or a woman to envy the position of the other. To want things to be different. Really, it ends up in a lack of fulfillment. And I know sometimes there are, there are husbands that really don't want to lead. They just want to cruise. They want to kick back. They don't want to take any leadership in their home. They're just fine with letting somebody else do it or letting it not be done. But here's the deal. Uh, husbands, it's your responsibility. I know there are different personalities all across the board. It's not a matter of personality. It's a matter of this is an assigned role for you. It's a, fl- it's a place and a function that God has designed for you in the home. You must take it. You must step up to the plate and be that man of God. And you must lead. You must take that role. You can't, well, she's just, my wife's better at that. I'm just going to let her do it. No, 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 you're not. You're going to be held accountable for it. And it really is within your ability whether you realize it or not. And sometimes there's a wife who, man, she just really doesn't want to, she really wants to take the lead. Bless God, I can do this a lot better than he he does. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. You're going to end up frustrating yourself and him. And you're going to limit the blessing of God in your home. God designed it to be a certain way. So as long as there's agreement, no, not as long as there's agreement. Agreement is a very powerful and important thing. But there's a, this is the very reason that we have an authority structure in, in families, in churches, in government, and all across the board, because there will not always be agreement. And so God said, this is the way it's going to work. We're going to listen. What, what if I don't agree with the Lord? That's why he's called our head. That's why he's the head of the church. We have to listen to the head. doesn't matter what I think. He's right. So what if the head of the home doesn't do right? Well, no doubt there will be some mistakes. But God doesn't fire a person because they make a mistake. <laughs> Amen. They still retain that position. And it must be respected, must be adhered to. And both of us, husbands and wives, should value the place that he's, pl- that he's put us and know that we're gifted and enabled to stand there and do a good job. And you can be an outstanding husband. You can be an outstanding wife. And you can fulfill all that God has called you to do and to be in that relationship. Father, we thank you today for helping us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Thank you for enabling us and empowering every single person. We thank you for your ability working in us. We thank you for your mighty hand being stretched out to help each and every person to fulfill the place that you've called them to in this life. Thank you for the love of God that compels us. And we do look to you for answers, for direction, and for instruction in all that we do. We thank you for enlightening the eyes of our understanding today, for showing us exactly what we need.